good news. In verse 2, he goes on to say, God promised this. What are those two words? Let's say them together. God promised this long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. If you've been with us before, we just finished a long teaching series in the, in the gospel of Luke. Some said too long. Some said not long enough. I like those people better. It's okay. Um, but at the end of Luke, you see Jesus suddenly appearing with disciples again. There are two disciples, a couple, on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears miraculously uh, in disguise. They don't recognize him until he begins to open their minds to what? To the scriptures. Later, he appears to the disciples still in disbelief that they're in the presence of Jesus who was dead, who is now alive in bodily form. They don't believe it. And Jesus says, didn't you know the scriptures? Didn't you see me in the scriptures? And Paul says the same thing. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures. What he says is this book shows us Something introduces us to this idea of good news. It's right there for each and every one of us to see if our eyes can be open. Verse 3. The, say those two words, is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. This good news is about his son. He's going to come back to that in just a second. And he says, in his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. Who, uh, who really uh, is excited about and values King David? So probably Jews. Remember I told you that in Rome there are different factions of Christians arguing about what it means to be a Christian. And one of those factions are Jewish Christians who hold tightly to the law, to the Old Testament, to the Torah, to the line of David. And when Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm writing to you about the one who was born into King David's family line, this is a nod to Jewish Christians, right? Right? But he goes on to say in the very next verse, and he was shown to be the son of not just David, but the son of who? He's the son of God. And when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's keep going. In verse five, he says, and through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as sent ones, that's what apostle means, sent out, to tell Gentiles, okay, so now we're introduced to another group of Christians in Rome. We have Jewish Christians in Rome who hold tightly to the law, uh, to, the law to Torah, uh, who believe in the family lineage of David. And then we have a Gentile, a Gentile is basically everybody that's not a Jew, the Jews don't have any idea about the Old Testament or prophecy or the Torah or the law or the family line of David. But Paul says God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. And what has God done for them? Through the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from 
the dead so that they will believe and obey him and bring glory to his name. What has God done for them? Raise Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they would believe and obey and glorify him. Verse six, it goes on to say, and you are included among these Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Imagine this letter written to people that he doesn't even know, but what does he say to them? He says three incredible words right here. He says, uh, you are included in this, you are called to this, and you belong to this. Those are some pretty incredible, powerful statements, right? Related to this whole good news, Jesus idea, you are included, you are called, and you belong. And then finally in verse 7, and where we're going to end there today, and I'm, uh, uh, I'm not going to be able to cover everything in Romans, but in verse 7, he says, I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his holy people. So the Jews would have been, Jewish Christians would immediately said, oh, well, called to be his holy people, he's talking about us. But Paul backs all that up and says, no, 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 no. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God. Who in Rome is loved by God? Yeah, this is a pretty expansive thing, right? So you have two feuding groups of Christians, both claiming to be, have the exclusive knowledge. And Paul says, no, 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 I'm writing to all of you. There's this incredible sense that he's saying, the thing that brings us together is Christ, is the good news. And he prays to God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. And you can see in these first few verses, what he says is what we have in common is greater than the thing that has been dividing us. So, in what has been called the greatest theological document ever written, literally, Romans is described as the theological last will and testament of Paul. In this this incredible letter, and I just gave you a few minutes, and I don't know how long it took Paul to write his, but he has 16 chapters in his letter. That's a pretty decent-sized letter. He's got something to say. Can you tell? In 16 chapters in one letter, Paul has one chance to speak to a divided people, to unite them behind a single cause, purpose, and to share one thing, and that is good news. I just want to take a few minutes and talk about those two words. You're going to see them come again and again throughout Romans, and Paul makes no mistake about even in the first seven verses, I don't know how many times he repeats those same two words, 
But it becomes very obvious, it becomes very clear that this is his purpose. The one thing he wants you to walk away with, the one thing he wants you to understand is good news. And, and the, maybe the first thing you need to know about this good news is that there is good and it is meant for you. I know what the news shows, right? If it bleeds, it leads. The news loves to, to celebrate pain, struggle, heartache, crime, suffering, right? Because that can engage us in some sort of fear and worry and doubt. And Paul's first word is that there is good. Think about that. Just, just stop right there. Maybe just say those words in your head right now. There is good. There is. Maybe you see it. Maybe you need to go just hang outside the doors of our nursery and listen to the kids laugh. You will be reminded that, okay, and I need to be honest about this. Like, even Jesus would say, in this world, you will face troubles. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, there is still good. And the news isn't going to report it. But you can know it. I know, man, some of you are facing some really tough stuff right now. And it is going to take all the courage you have to step into the darkness that surrounds you and say, I know there is good here. To stand up for the good and to fight for the good. And if we Christians have one purpose in this world, it is to fight for goodness. Amen? To claim goodness wherever it happens, wherever we see it, for God. There is good, and it is meant for you. You cannot read in any other seven verses of the Bible words of more inclusion and inclusiveness than the words that Paul uses. You are called. You belong. This place is for you. You are included, and what unites us together is not suffering or doubt or fear. What unites us is good. And we as Christians need to remind each other of the good that holds us together. Whether it's watching kids chase after Easter eggs or handing out backpacks or showing up at, at the hospital room to visit someone or spending time praying over each other in discipleship groups. We are included and called to belong to the purpose of good. And goodness is what unites us together. The good news in the Old Testament, the Old Testament Hebrew equivalent in Greek, this word good news, sometimes translated gospel, sometimes translated good news, uh, the Hebrew equivalent is the victory of God. God has won a massive victory for 
you, and it is good news. And the victory of God, the good news, the gospel is that you are loved by God. Man, I, I, want, I want everyone, I, I know you're, you're super distracted, but if there is one thing that you could walk away with today, it is this, that you are loved by God. I've spent so much time in my life with people who don't know they're loved. With people, uh, with, with teenagers who are, who are depressed or discouraged. With, with men and women contemplating suicide because they have no connection. They have no attachment. They don't feel any sense of the, the incredible love and presence of God. And I just want to shake them and, and say, if you could just spend a few honest moments in this word, in these words, you would know that God loves you. If you could spend a few honest moments in prayer, you would know that the God of the universe has in his mind the best possible scenario for you and for your life. I don't mean that's going to be without pain and struggle. It's going to happen. But in this moment, even in this place, you can know the unimaginable love of God. And I am, I am ashamed as a Christian of the moments and times where I have, I have been a Christian without really getting it or feeling it or allowing myself to feel how incredibly loved I am. And if I could wake you up to one idea, it is that God loves you more than you have ever been loved before and it is waiting right there for you. He is waiting for you to just open up yourself, open up that hard-heartedness of yourself just a little bit and he would fill you with his presence and love. And that kind of love has the power to change us. change our world, change our reality, if we could just stop and soak that in and feel it. I, I want you to just come into, sometimes in my prayer time and my quiet time, I just want you to just come in. I, I just, I want strangers from the street just to come in so they can feel what I get to feel in that moment. That God is here, his presence is here, it's real, it's with me, and, it, and, and I'm not alone how many single adults have I prayed for who've said, man, I just want somebody to love me. I just want somebody to love me. I, I don't know anyone. I don't know that anyone really can. Why does no one? And I say, I want you to know that you are loved. Think about this message. The good news is that the love of God has come for all of us. And the good news, if you've noticed in, uh, at least in my version, good news, this word in Greek, euangelion, it's capitalized. Did you see that? Because the inclusion and the goodness and the love of God is a person. The good news, the gospel is Jesus Christ. All of God's love for you is the person Jesus Christ. 
God's love for you is demonstrated in the way that he poured his own son, his own flesh and blood out for you so that you would believe in him and have life. Good news always leads to life. So if you still got your envelopes, here's what I want you to do. It's time to address them. And I want you, uh, just on the front, I want you to self-address them. Put your name and put your address And I've got a few guys that are going to stand up and they're going to collect these envelopes. And what I'm going to do is, uh, at some point throughout our Roman series, I'm going to mail you your letter back. All right? So write your address on there, your name and your address. And I'll go ahead and ask Andy and Josh and Graham are going to stand up. If you guys, as you you self-address them, just pass them to to the aisles and these guys will pick them up. Paul wrote his letter of good news. Now you've written your letter of good news. Here you go, Josh. Self-address them. These guys will pick them up. And this is going to be important because as we go through Romans, uh, Paul is all about good news. He wants you to know the gospel. He wants you to understand it. And so As we spend this series diving into Paul's letter, your knowledge and your understanding and your experience of good news is probably going to grow and change. And so from day one, thinking about good news to whenever we finish this series, whenever this envelope shows up in your mailbox, your experience of good news is probably going to grow and expand and change, even as mine has. So go ahead and send those in. And The other purpose in having you write good news is really the and truly the first person that needs to receive this message of good news is you. It is. Far too many Christians have I met that don't know how to share or express the good news, the gospel that they have that they have received. And so I want you to receive it yourself. I want you to be reminded of the things we talked about, that there is good and it is meant for you. You are included. You are called to belong to the cause and purpose of good and that you are loved by God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And this is a message for You, that's what Paul says. Paul said, I wrote this to everyone in Rome who's loved by God. And and I would expand that. If there's Rome today, it'd it'd be us. You are loved by God, and this message of good news is for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? In just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss us to a time of communion. Really, for us, this is a time of, of sharing. So on, on, the, on the tables, you'll find the elements of communion, the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus poured out, the, the bread, which represents his body broken for us. 
As you take these elements, I invite you to share them together. You guys know how to do hug and howdy, do communion in the same way. An act of sharing with each other. Maybe share what you wrote, or uh, maybe now that you've heard my teaching, you go, man, I wish I would have wrote. Share what does it mean to know the good news of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be on the cause of good? Think about Paul's own words. How did he introduce himself? Do you remember? He says, I'm called by God. I'm sent by God for this purpose. And then he, at the very beginning, one of the very first things he says is, Paul says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm a slave of this good news. Some of your uh, versions maybe water it down and say a servant. But, but really, uh, a better word is probably prisoner. Paul says, um, this, this word slave, prisoner of God, of Jesus Christ, of this good news, it implies complete ownership. Think about that. Paul says this idea that I'm writing, this idea that I'm sharing, this idea of good news, this idea of Jesus Christ is something that owns every part of of me. There's not one thing that I own myself, that this idea, the idea of God's goodness and love and mercy and forgiveness is, is so consuming that there's none of me left, and I completely have given myself to this idea. I am a slave to the good news. I am completely owned by the good news of Jesus Christ. How about you? What has owned you this week? Owned by fear or doubt or worry? Owned by schedules and timetables? Owned by the actions and attitudes of others? As you enter in this time of communion, man, if you're, if you're really brave, I just maybe invite you to share what's owned you this week. And if it hasn't been the good news of Jesus Christ, just simply repent, man. My heart's been owned by something else. My attention has been owned by something else. And I'm ready to again be completely a slave to the good news of Jesus Christ. For it to come out of every pore of my body and my life. If there's ways we can help, uh, ways we can pray for you or serve you, maybe uh, you're ready to give your life to Christ in baptism. Like we had a baptism just a few weeks ago, man. We, we praise God for that. That's what we want to see, a fully owned by Jesus. So if, uh, if that's you and I could pray for you or serve for you, I'll move to the back. Let me say a prayer and I'll dismiss you to this time of communion and sharing together. Father God, I don't know how to do justice to... Um, to these words, <laughs> not even the words of Paul, but Father God, we believe that, that you are working, your spirit is somehow alive in these words, cutting deep into us, deep into the dark places of our life. And so Father God, I ask for uh, whatever, whatever spiritual surgery needs to happen, whatever we've devoted ourselves to, whatever is, is consumed us that, that isn't you, that isn't the good news, that isn't your son Jesus Christ, that, that is preventing us from knowing the love of God 
God that is real and present for everyone here today, then Father God, I ask that you would, you would do your work and remove those things from us. Even, I don't care how painful it is, Father God, we move us again into the light of your good news. Move us again into the presence of good and your will for us. We know that this is, this is a life that we can, we can inherit and live and belong to because of your son, Jesus Christ. Without him, without his death, without his burial, without his resurrection, Father God, this, this good news wouldn't have been open to us. We, we could not have accepted it or moved into it. And so, Father God, as we enter in this time of communion, we remember your son, Jesus. His life poured out so that we might live. And Father God, like Paul, let us become good news people. Let us belong to it. Let it consume us, our thoughts and our ideas. And as we uh, embody the good news, as we become instruments of the good news, Father God, let the good news come out of us as we share it with our friends and neighbors and family members, coworkers. Father God, we ask that you would do your work in us. May you give us grace and peace as we experience your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that everyone together says,